Welcome to the Rebecca Panapinto Project. Today, I am very excited to host Ben Howard with Fitbit. Now, Ben has had an incredible career, starting out in the early days working with one of Canada's largest consulting firms, where Ben led the cloud practice. He then was able to join Google Cloud, where he led the healthcare and life sciences divisions for the organization. After this, Ben was given the incredible opportunity to become the general manager at Tempest Labs, which is a leading precision medicine company that specializes in AI-enabled diagnostics. Bringing this all together, Ben has now returned to Google, where he leads the sales and partnerships for major payers within the Fitbit Health Solutions Group. As you can see, Ben is making an incredible impact within the healthcare ecosystem. We talk all about that today, as well as the insight he's gained throughout his career. Enjoy the show. Ben, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I've so been looking forward to this episode. You have no idea. Like, no losing my voice. Nothing could stop <laughs> making this happen because your career has just been so cool. And the impact you're making in the world today is so impressive. So I'm really excited to highlight that today and want to start with really your core focus, which is the technology behind Fitbit and focusing on bringing that to the payer ecosystem. So tell us about what you're doing today and what you're most excited about within that industry. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, so working on the health plan team at, at Fitbit Health Solutions, so the enterprise arm of Fitbit, and we're very much now making a big shift from moving at least Fitbit from a wellness brand to a health focused brand. So really thinking about Fitbit today from the consumer side provides a really great digital health experience <clears throat> that now spans far beyond just a really nice wearable device. And we're very much thinking about how can we help health plans focus on both outcomes and conditions because obviously those are interrelated. And we want to be able to help plans think about diabetes, heart health, sleep conditions, and, and mental health. And the success and engagement we've seen with consumers um, is very much continuing to drive the success we're having on the health side of the business. So we focus here because we think this is where we can have the greatest impact. Yeah, it's like gone are the days of just looking at your Fitbit data to know like how long you slept and just basic data. Now it's a bigger picture of your overall health and even being able to lead and drive incentives based on people interacting with that health. So where is the focus on really expanding the data points that you guys can pull in to help the payer side and even the patient side? So if we think about it, it's obviously being more active. Can we inspire people to be more active with exercise tracking, exercise and fitness challenges, steps, and all of the things that are around activity? Then, of course, sleep factors into that. You can't really be active if you don't feel well rested. So the, some of the devices that we provide have heart rate sensors, motion detectors, temperature sensors. They can very much look at sleep, <clears throat> record sleep patterns, heart rate movement measure the time spent in deep sleep or light sleep, and then provide people personalized sleep scores that can show them trends over time. And then that can really help them make key health decisions. And if you're, you know, the normal everyday person working, going through life, why would you not want to know where your health is at? Like life gets busy. There's a lot going on. And if this device can very easily do a lot of the heavy lifting for you and tracking your heart rate and checking when things are maybe just a little off to be like, hey, maybe you should like slow down. <laughs> it's super exactly. valuable. Exactly. It's about if you can have something that's, you know, a continuous on risk presence like wearing a watch mm -hmm. that can do a lot more for you. But it's mm -hmm. passive because you don't have to do anything to interact mm -hmm. with it. And if you choose, you can of course engage with the data and receive personalized insights on 
you know, how can I sleep better? I feel tired when I wake up in the morning. What do I need to do there? Or if, if, you know, I don't, you know, not feeling as energetic, maybe I need to remind myself to get up and walk every hour or so. So it's very much around personalizing people's health journeys and really giving them or enabling them to take control in ways that they feel most comfortable. That's one of the things that I would say you guys have done extremely well is avoiding device lock-in, which I very much have gotten stuck in, like stuck in the Apple ecosystem. It's just, it happened and I don't know what else to do. (laughs) Like I just use all Apple products, but you guys are like, hey, they do look great. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you allow across different platforms, all these different insurance companies that I'm sure are wanting to access the data in different forms, things like that. You're making it extremely easy. I'm sure there's an element of APIs, things like that. Extremely easy for different groups to communicate with your devices and not have any kind of vendor lock-in. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I think first and foremost, you just think about Google as a whole, very much about an open ecosystem, very much about, you know, there's no device lock-in or vendor lock-in, whatever it might be. But I think on the second point, more importantly, look, data is key for anything and everything now. Every opportunity, and, and you know, seamlessly every opportunity relies around data. For us, we're very much still invested in um, privacy and consent and in terms of, what can be done with the data? You know, we're not able to monetize or sell ads against any of that data. That that's a given. Um, but more importantly, even with our plan partners, in terms of the the individual member, still have to provide consent to the plan. Fitbit doesn't necessarily get access to that data. And if there's data we do get access to, it's aggregated at a population level, so we you know it's not individual. So we're very much focused on how can we better enable and empower the individual without them having to give up any of the, the rights. And if so, you know, if a plan's providing a fully subsidized device, it's in aid of helping that member with their health journey and not doing anything potentially nefarious with with that data. Yeah, I was thinking about it when, you know, we first connected and I was understanding like insurance, like perspective in it all. And it reminded me of back when I owned a vehicle, which was pre-New York days, of how you could get a discount on your insurance if you're willing to put this little device in your car that tracked if you were an aggressive speeder or not. And I remember being like, whoa, 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 this is only going to hurt me. Like, this is only going to, like, make my insurance go up. But no, it wasn't true. It actually helped with better habits. And my premiums went down because I, surprisingly, am a better driver than I thought. And I think that's the same case with how the insurance folks you're partnered with are approaching it. It's like, this isn't to harm you. This isn't to tell you like you're lazy, you don't walk enough. And so it's going to be more expensive for you to get, you know, X, Y, Z done at, at our facilities. Yeah, no, I, I think you make a really good point. And look, this is all about how can we help make the invisible health patterns visible? Members need personalized, convenient way to take control of their health, manage mm-hmm. their well-being, and really make incremental changes to improve both the physical and mental health outcomes. Yeah, my experience in you know a good couple of years of wearing devices is it's only made me make better decisions, not worse. I drink less. I definitely am more cognizant of when I need to go to bed early. I'm definitely aware when I need to take a recovery day, whereas in the past maybe I would have pushed it. Like it's only helped me positively, even though like for the longest time when my watch buzzed me to stand up or to meditate, I was like, oh, this is so annoying. But it's like, no, actually, like. These are practices that are only helping me get better. Yeah, no, no. And, and I think now we're at the next iteration where, you know, certain features like the FDA approved AFib sensor can potentially save your life. So I think to your point around 
you know, I like to look at my steps and make sure I'm at least hitting a baseline. Am I, you know, am I, am I getting out of my seat enough? But then depending on what stage of life you are or what certain health conditions you have, the device could actually really be, uh, really be beneficial. And I think there's only going to be an increase in those types of, as I said, moving from wellness to health, very much those types of health features uh, that can do a lot more than just tell you how long you've been sitting down for. So when you, using your terminology, have made the invisible visible, what are some of the shocking discoveries that like you've made around maybe diseases or populations by just like looking at certain data points that maybe were in the past ignored? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that you know, from a FIBA perspective, diabetes has been a big one where we've been able to help power diabetes prevention by, you know, giving the, or plan subsidizing devices, people can actually get more activity and then they can outperform people that didn't wear the devices throughout a period of time. We've had, you know, 1600 peer reviewed trials and studies that actually show uh, the benefit of wearing a device. As I said, diabetes management in particular is, is, is one that very much focuses on, you know, uh, an improved outcome. So was, you know, blood glucose decreased versus somebody that wasn't wearing it. So we're starting to see around heart health, diabetes, weight management, stress. Those are the key areas that I would say we've been able to really drive impact. I like the personal touch from the insurance perspective too, I think. Making it less of a like, you only hear from them when you have a bill scenario. And, and even then like, you don't understand it. So yeah. Exactly. You're like, wait, what? I thought you're covering that. Um, but instead finding other t- touch points and having that um, investment in a positive health relationship is I think something that can only benefit the greater healthcare ecosystem and make it a little bit less us versus them type scenario. Yeah, we, we hope so. Mm-hmm. What about when it comes to like athlete performance and like people who maybe aren't fighting diabetes, but they just like want that like tiny little millimeter shift. Are there some interesting use cases or experiences where like somebody who maybe already is pretty aware of their health realized something new by digging in deeper to using devices? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the benefits from, from, from in particular, of course, the extended battery life, you don't need to take it off every day to charge. So you can wear it to sleep mm-hmm. for consecutive nights and actually being able to understand your sleep patterns. Are you actually in a deep sleep and are you restless and can actually look at your body temperature and understand that, you know, humans like to sleep in a relatively cool environment, but you know, if your body temperature is hotter and you don't have a good night's sleep, you can actually really drive meaningful, as you said, millimeter changes that can make a pretty maximal impact. So we have seen a number of things particularly around sleep and mindfulness and stress that people otherwise wouldn't be aware of if you're just wearing a, you know, a, a device that tracks how fast you're running or, or tracks how many laps you swam. I personally love the detailed sleep data because it, again, has made me make changes to like what time I eat dinner, how late I have caffeine, alcohol. Like it's just, it doesn't need to happen except for like rare occasions because no matter how little or how much like it still has the same detrimental impact to a good night's sleep and so it's like just cut it <laughs> sometimes it's worth it but yeah during the week probably holidays but i can see it man my i i'm you know heavily aura dependent on the on the sleep piece and i can see it and i was just like why did i do that you know why did i have caffeine after three why did i drink alcohol because my sleep Cause it... takes a hit right 
trying to make those small improvements so I can be the best athlete I can myself too. So, you know, every step is progress. So even if it's just a small thing, you know, if you're moving forward each day, each week, each month, that's all you can ask for. Love it. Now, do you live and die by your devices too? What is your interaction and lifestyle around your health? Yeah, I, I do. So obviously I, I wear a Fitbit. Um, so for me, it's been really interesting. Uh, track my sleep and you can get sleep scores and the progresses and just look at my daily activity and if I feel sluggish typically it tends to relate that I didn't really walk enough or I didn't do enough active zone minutes and then it's actually quite fun to be competitive my son will wear one and you know he'll come home from school and obviously he's probably done about 20,000 steps because he was having recess for two hours so it, it, it can be fun it's very I think it's been a very positive impact and I think one of the nice things it takes away from the need to be on your phone um, so I'm able to put my phone down and from wearing the Fitbit, of course, can still receive messages. So it's calling me, but I don't need to have it in my hand. As I said, it's that passive companion on wrist, uh, that still keeps me connected when I need to be, but I'm not on my phone all the time. So that's been a really nice unintended consequence of, 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 of wearing a Fitbit. Yeah. I can forget about my phone and only be relying on devices, especially like during a workout or out for a run and it's great and you're not staring down at a device all day long no and you know we're you know, especially with kind of coming out of COVID and all the remote work like you're always available and technically you know you've got no time between meetings because you're at your kitchen table um so to be able to actually disconnect from a device is great from a mental health perspective uh but also i feel like you need to like recharge in order to come back into work to, to really be focused or perform all those things so again, if you can put the phone away and you have the device, if you really need it, it's there. Otherwise, you can focus on, as you said, a workout, a run, listen to music on it, or whatever you need to do. So you're obviously making a huge digital impact within the insurance ecosystem, but I'm sure you guys have only scratched the surface. So what do you think like three years, five years, 10 years, the impacts that we can be making within a healthcare and again, that like insurance patient relationship do you have some like really cool visions and dreams for what that looks like so very much thinking about how you can transform it um, because we know that healthcare generates 30 percent of the world's data and it's the fastest growing industry for data and health devices are generating an increasing amount of that data and of course within the wearable uh, within device data wearables are a major contributor but i think it's like something like a billion devices in 2023 for, for health data so, uh, you know, we know that there's a big need from, from uh, the, the customers that we're talking to. It's difficult to build a 360 view of a patient because they can't get access or visibility, they can't get visibility of the data that surrounds that patient. And it's not just when they're in the four walls of the hospital. Of course, a lot of patient happens as an outpatient at home or in a clinic. Uh, the interoperability challenges of, of, of data in healthcare is obviously getting better, but it's still not great. And I think one of the big things that, that a lot of our health-related customers still have challenges with is how do we understand what's driving the variability in outcomes, like consumer behavior or desire to create a more personalized experience. That's something that I think Google in general, from a cloud perspective, as you think about some of the solutions that we're able to offer our customers. And Fitbit, of course, is a key element as a device and as the first device that you can connect and run. The, you know, the world is, is very much open. And I think the foundation looks like it's 
being really well set to get there because people are getting comfortable with devices. It's becoming more of a regular thing. I was actually curious if you run into any HIPAA roadblocks or if most people are like, I mean, if I want to know this data, we can share this data. Like, as long as the foundation is there, people are wearing devices, they're comfortable with it, and they're willing to share their data with insurance companies, whatever. I would think that's a good start to, in three, five, ten years, be able to double click further on it and see bigger pictures and bigger trends. To what's going yeah, on. no, it's a great question. The first thing about ownership of data, the member or the patient should always own that data, and they're given the choice of if they want to share it with the clinician partner or with a plan partner because it's for their benefit, then that's great. But to your point, the data obviously should be treated in a HIPAA compliant way and building in the cloud, whether it's on Google, on Amazon, or Azure, they all have HIPAA compliant solutions that can be used uh, both from a storage, from an encryption, and then of course, from an access and transparency perspective. So Ben, switching gears a little bit now because I find your background so interesting. You're from London, you worked for Google, worked within the healthcare space, and now you're serving all these different elements. Then we look at your degree and it was in theology. Like, it's just super intriguing, all these different kind of ways that you've come to solve the problems that you solve. So I'm curious through the lens of theology and really where your background has been, how you do like to approach problem solving and and the unique perspective you think that it you're able to bring to an organization with this diverse background? Yeah, it's actually funny. I never thought I would go to university for theology, but it was really, I think for me, university was the last time that I was able to actually enjoy education just for the sake of learning something new without having to do anything with it. So I think theology was, for me was very much about understanding different belief systems, how, how people interact with those belief systems, you know, the origins of those systems, how they interact together. So both the, the, the philosophy and the, the theology of all of that. Uh, so it wasn't really because I wanted to do anything with the after that. I was just very much interested in, you know, how did Islam become, or how did Judaism, how did Christianity develop and evolve, and what are the principles and the tenets, and how do people, in, you know, enjoy, uh, enjoy those religions. I actually went to law school afterwards. And I would have to say your day-to-day probably is a lot more fun than reviewing contracts. <laughs> if you would have really gone there's, to law, law yeah, there's still some contracts involved, but no, definitely, you know, get to get to talk to uh, a wide range of, 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 of teams in, in uh, health plans, Medicare, Medicaid, Medicare Advantage on the commercial side. And then within that, thinking about how the clinical teams, how the affordability teams, how the product teams, how the engagement teams think about their different areas. So it's a really interesting role in terms of the variability of the day-to-day, but also the depth and breadth of of who we get to work with uh, mm-hmm. at our health plan partners. Yeah, and I'm sure with where you're at in the industry, kind of similar to cloud, even though it's fairly advanced, like solving big problems, a lot of people are wearing devices, still just at the like cusp of innovation, I think. like Most enterprise organizations are not in the cloud yet. It's just... It's, the reality of if you actually look at the data, these massive companies still have a lot of on-prem and a lot of legacy systems that there's still so much upside and so much runway to keep innovating and making impact. And I'm sure it's just another level of that with what you see that you can do within healthcare insurance, which has got to be super exciting. (laughs) Yeah, certainly, you know, I've always landed myself in trying to solve the toughest problems, which not not easy, but I think the, the approach that's always seemed to work well is just breaking everything down. Like, Right, here's a massive problem. Cool, let's put that to the side. Let's just think about something small, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, that we can show you that possible. I think one of the big challenges is it, it, it's don't tell me, show me. 
So with cloud, that's actually very doable because it's not expensive, it's not difficult. Yes, there's a whole host of legacy systems that rely on legacy code or, or legacy operations, but there's ways in which you can really show pretty dramatic uh, change and improvement and enhancements. And then the only thing you really have to do is marry that with the comfort and confidence. Good news is the appetite's there, funding is going towards it. Like you see the progression, folks like you are spearheading that. And then it's just a matter of time and awareness for the innovation to just take more and more steps forward. I think it's exactly. exciting. I think like it's just early days. When the aura ring hit the market, I was totally nerding out like, holy crap, I wanted to tra track my sleep forever. And like now it's all in this tiny little ring. And like it's just the start of the impact. I love now the devices where you have it on the back of your arm, the patches that can track your glucose and how you react to different foods. Who would have thought of that like three years ago? It's so cool that there's no, this I mean, you're, you're right. And the proliferation of the devices and the size of the device getting smaller. But the challenge that we're trying to address is how do you bring all those devices together? How do you bring that, dev mm -hmm. that device data together to make it useful and accessible and, uh, and, and you know, you normalize that data? I think that really, you touched upon it inadvertently. Mm -hmm. I think that's really where there's a massive opportunity. And just Google in general, of course, the goal of the, on the mission is to you know how do you make how do you organize and make the world's information accessible and usable and i think we're trying to do that as specifically related to health data so couldn't agree more what about gamification too have you guys played with a lot of that like i use my garmin for that like always want yeah. to see if i was better than the other guy <laughs> I'm just curious if you see a lot of that in fitbit yeah so i think fitbit historically particularly on the consumer side there's gamification and leaderboards and custom communities that you can challenge your friends. And I'm, I'm sure that that, that will, you know, there'll be pockets of that. Um, and I think it really depends, you know, we have our, our um, employer customers. So employers will provide Fitbits to their employees, either as a fully subsidized benefit or as a discount. And there it's very much about, we're trying to drive, you know, activity the month of October, you know, October, for example, you can create custom challenges and leaderboards, people can beat with the devices. So there certainly is element or are elements of gamification. Uh, and I think then it's incumbent on the, our player partners, Herberels, to really leverage the data to make out whatever the, the games, the activities, the challenges, the competitions that they're trying to kind of work with. I think for very much, we, we, we can support that with the data that's available. Man, I wish I could see the bigger picture of it all. I want to see more than just my data now. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I've, I'm in that club yet. Maybe one day. There's probably some trends data that you can see, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Eventually, maybe more and more of it will be public. And I'd be interested to see, like, based on, like, the area I live and people my age, you know, even against, you know, people that I maybe compete with athletically, like, interested to see differing data based on where they live, their age, right. things like that. It just well, if you're in a competition, you know, you're doing mm -hmm. a CrossFit competition or something else, just for that time bound two hour event, everybody's wearing a Fitbit or a Garmin or whatever, another device. Mm -hmm. And everyone can then look at everyone's heart rate, resting heart rate, heart rate, variability, blood oxygen. Now the competition is not just about how many reps you do, but looking at the vitals. I think there's something quite exciting about that too. Yeah. Well, it's the, things that these athletes never show or talk about because their diet, their routine, their sleep is just like habits they've perfected over 20 years that probably a lot of them don't even think about is why they're the best of their game. But 
those are things that as normal people like would love to know. Like I would love to know what Carrie Underwood's diet is <laughs> and all the different things that these people do, the sacrifices they make to be the best of the best. And these are things that just haven't been public. They've maybe been like trade secrets. And the more that does become public and people share it and there's CrossFit that athletes that do share their diet, things like that. So it's not completely hidden, but more and more visibility into things like that, I think helps people realize like how really it's not that hard to take care of yourself and how it's not that hard to be healthy and fit and perform in certain areas. It's just small sacrifices and getting in good habits and routines that people have potentially perfected over 15, 20 years ahead of us, which is why. Yeah. We're on the podium. And I think, you know, the hardest part is getting started. So just by yeah. putting on a device and then kind of letting, you know, seeing where that takes you without these big goals. And, you know, it's like, no, just put the device on take a few steps, maybe sleep an extra hour, maybe, you know, log, log the food or whatever it might be. And it's starting like that. And as you said, building habits and forming habits over time, that small incremental success really builds into, into really tremendous results, both from a health and a wellness perspective. Yeah. And it feels tangible, real, controllable when it's bite sizes versus yes. like, yeah, just, you always see like, it's the Instagram reel. You always see somebody's Instagram reel and them winning but it's really cool to step back and think about the, how they got there and how simple it can be when you actually get down to like the fact that we're all human and we all have to prioritize certain elements of our humanness to be successful. Yep. And it's okay to not know what you're doing. I think one of the benefits of this, what we've seen at Fitbit is having the resources that accompany it. So, you know, mm -hmm. you get the data that you had a bad night's sleep. Okay. But what does that even mean? And what can I do about it? If you can then prompt people to actually try this, do this, or, you know, if somebody only walked 10,000 steps in a day and they wanted to walk more, are there things they could do to help improve? I think it's how do you give people the tools and the resources that they can then act upon or not, but at least they don't feel, you know, lack of empowerment. They feel that I'm empowered to take these decisions and this is why and this is what it will do and I'll choose to or choose not to. And if you don't, that's you know totally okay. But I think, you know, without the resources, you almost feel lost in, you know, the, the grandioseness of the world. So I have one final question for you and it's around principles. And I'm curious to hear from you, what is the core principle that you've lived by to be successful in business? It's a really good question. Um, I think it's about doing the small things and you know, doing the things that don't cost anything. Be nice, show up on time, reply to an email immediately so the, so the other person isn't left hanging even if you don't have an answer. Uh, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. It's, it's the simple things that people often overlook, you know, showing up on time and never being late. You always try to be a couple minutes early. Uh, and I think things like that in, in this DNA seem to kind of have been overlooked or lost. So for me, it's very much doing those foundational things really well and consistently. Uh, and I think those are things that have really served me well. And perhaps I did a bad job. The project wasn't so great. But those things seem to kind of get ranked down because, you know, it's delivered on time and I said I was going to do what I did. And I was that those types of things I found have really served me well. Um, you know, it's like it doesn't cost anything to be nice. Um, you know, you get a lot more when you're nice. You know, if you're nasty to someone, they're not going to want to help you, even if that's their job to help you. So for me, you know, through trial and error, unfortunately, um, very much learned to you know live by some of those core tenants. And I think that's what's, you know, those guiding principles have really served me well. That's good. 
and it becomes part of your personal brand and your reputation that five years down the road, somebody remembers and opens a door that you could not see when you're in the moment, but you chose the right thing at that very moment that impacted the future. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, you're modeling the behavior that you'd like that you're, you know, if you're a manager of the team to embody or, or, or if there's, you know, behavior on the team you're on that, that isn't that way you can show them the type of behavior, not saying that, you know, um, I've always acted perfectly, but I think if you can try to do that, it at least gives people uh, the opportunity to kind of do the same thing. That's good. I love it. Leading by example. You're awesome, Ben. Thanks for joining the show today. Thank you. This was awesome, Rebecca. Really appreciate it. Likewise. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Be well.